Alrighty, guys, we are back. Welcome to FHP. This is Chris, and we are joined by Ian, as always. We're here to recap the U.S. Open, and then we're going to take a look this week at the Travelers Championship. So, Ian, we had two guys somewhat sort of in the mix on Sunday. Uh, I say one probably more serious than the other, but uh, what it really came down to uh, was really a battle between uh, Wyndham and, and Rory, which uh, even though neither of those on our card, it was a pretty fun, fun uh, final Sunday to watch. I don't know how you felt about it, um, but despite not having really uh, a chance after Scotty kind of fell a little bit behind, um, you know, I thought it was a pretty fun battle down the stretch. But what are your overall sentiments of how the U.S. Open turned out? The course, I know it was an ever-changing course every single day, it felt like. Um, so, yeah, let's let's hear it. Yeah, uh, where, where to begin? I guess um... – We'll start with the course. Um, I'll be honest, as a as ardent of a defender as I was from Thursday into early Friday, as the week wore on, I don't think it's a bad US Open venue, but I do believe LACC would need to make a few changes for 2039 when it when it hosts it next. I think my main problem with, with the golf course, I will say it, it didn't really have a lot to do with Thursday because I thought Thursday was a a medley of things that the USJ didn't really have much control over. Um, but I didn't expect the course to be as forgiving to waiver tee shots as it, I think it ended up being. I think players had the full um, just assortment of 45 yards on most fairways that we kind of had coming in. And for some reason, and Scotty talked about this in some of his press conferences, for some reason, the fairways never really firmed up in the same way that the greens did. Um, and that allowed, you know, sometimes wayward balls to not take that hard kick dead right or dead left and, and kind of stay in the fairway when maybe they otherwise shouldn't. I know Wyndham had a couple down the stretch that a lot of Rory fans were um, were ruining the fact that that ended up in the fairway, especially on 18, um, but also throughout the week. So as a whole, I, I think I think the, I think the venue was solid. Like I, I'd give it like a solid be it didn't quite live up to all my expectations i would say just because there there was a little bit less drama with the tee shots i feel like um and again a lot of the time it ended up being kind of inconsequential what a guy did off the tee unless he missed like just really really wildly which i didn't really expect i thought the fairways would play uh quite a bit narrower than maybe the scorecard of the, the specs would indicate but the good news is and there was plenty of good and the good news is that as the week you went on as you kind of alluded to the ground firmed up and greens became just impossible to hold, especially if you're playing from the rough or not playing from position eight in the fairway. Um, and that's, I think why you saw such a wide disparity of scores, because if you did get out of position at LACC, like you could just make obscene scores uh, from some of the places these guys are driving it. Um, and yeah, that led to double bogeys, triple bogeys scores in the eighties, like you would expect at us open, but it also gave, chances to score and maybe a few more chances to score than you would typically see at, you know, your Oakmont, your Shinnecock Hills or some of the more classic US Open venues. And that's why you got to see guys go on runs, um, which I thought were really fun. Saw Cantley go on a run on Saturday morning, saw Tom Kim go on a run. Fleetwood obviously had a Sunday 63. Um, so yeah, a lot of volatility in the leaderboard. I, I didn't really, again, I, I was a bit more of an offender early in the week just because I felt like, just the overall damp conditions, the bit of mist we got in the morning, it softened the greens up. The pins were pretty pretty favorable locations as it is. Uh, they they kind of waited until the weekend to really put out the 
the devilish pin locations. Uh, and that's what kind of led to the, the 62s that we saw and 63s that we saw early in the week. Um, but yeah, overall, I, I think if you just pinch in the fairways a little bit more and, you know, you have a bit more control over uh, the conditions on Thursday, I don't think anyone's being nearly as critical of the golf course as they ended up being. And to your point, we got a pretty sick finish. I mean, we had, I, I guess the, the eventual champion was maybe the least compelling of the four storylines heading into Sunday. Um, but, you know, it's hard to compete with Rory potentially making history with his fifth, Ricky, and then Shefflin, number one play in the world. But um, I would guess that segues into our champion, Wyndham Clark. Unbelievable. I, I, I in, a, in a certain way, like, I'm, I'm shocked because, like, if you would have asked me, like, we didn't even bring him up on the podcast last week. But if you would have asked me about Wyndham Clark, like, I would have been quite bullish on his overall prospects. I just never would have bet him to actually win the golf tournament. Um, but I guess I'll get here first. And Rick Gaiman actually said this, I think, on Saturday night before the final round, uh, which I thought was really well said. You know, we talked about Quail Hollow a lot, and we talked about the Wells Fargo uh, just a few months ago being a bit of a breakout spot for a lot of kind of the games of becoming stars. Obviously, Ricky got his first win there. Rory got his first win there. Anthony Kim got his first win there. And so Quail Hollow has kind of been a proving ground for the up-and-comers getting that maiden victory um, you know, allowing them to kickstart, you know, a greater career and, a, you know, in many cases, a world-class career. And because Wyndham was 28-29, um, when he did win at Quail Hollow, it, it didn't feel the same way as when maybe one of these highly touted youngsters, uh, starlets, whatever you want to call it, maybe got that win, right? It didn't feel like a breakout spot. I mean, it was his first win on tour. So, of course, it has to be somewhat of a breakout spot, but – I don't think the greater community treated the Wyndham Clark win at Quail Hollow the same way we would have if, say, you know, a Zalatoris would have got his first win there or like a Hoblin or more Cowell would have got his first win there just because we kind of knew who Wyndham was. But it looks all the world now like, you know, he's a top 15 golfer in the world as we sit here on Tuesday nights after the U.S. Open, now a major champion, two-time winner um, in the last two months, two of the biggest events we've had on tour, um, won by Wyndham Clark and – and now you start to kind of look back and, and you're like, yeah, like Wyndham could very well fit into that same mold um, as his career progresses. He's still only, like I said, 29 years old. He drives the ball a mile. He's always had two elite tools in the driver and a short game. And now the fact that the iron game has started to come along and he's become, you know, in spurts, at least in 2023, a top 10 iron play in the world. Um, it's no wonder he's had this much repeat success. So Unreal from Wyndham Clark. Like I said, I never would have touted him to win. I think I was in a bit of a one-track mind last week on Scotty. And if it wasn't going to be Scotty, it was going to be a couple guys at the top of the board, like a Xander or Cantley, Rory, um, et cetera. So not exactly in my – just wasn't in my field of vision in terms of like an outright card, but certainly regretful that I wasn't maybe a bit more bullish in the prop capacity doing top 40s, top 20s matchups and stuff like that. Uh, I thought that made a lot of sense, and I just for, – for whatever reason, didn't get there. So – um yeah just just crazy um i mean it's not just the fact that he's won a us open and he's won at quail hollow but you know this is a guy that finished top 15 at the at the memorial championship um or the memorial tournament he was in the penultimate group with hobland i think on sunday he was right there down the stretch uh fifth of the valspar 10th of the phoenix open uh top 30s uh, top 35s at the arnold palmer the players riviera i mean he's been a repeated performer at these big events and it's kind of funny. I had this thought 
on Monday morning, like it's funny how we kind of lost not saying these guys are the same player like statistically, but we kind of lost Zalatoris and we kind of lost that um that guy that just a ball striking machine that like just pops up whenever things get difficult and th- seems to thrive whenever you know winning scores are gonna be in the six, seven, eight, nine under range. Um and it looks all the world like if you're talking about Wyndham Clark from a betting perspective going forward, like that's exactly the type of golf course that seems like he's going to thrive on. Um, we'll talk about obviously the golf course on offer this week, but yeah, with his driving ability, with his short game, I mean, clutch up and down on 17, just a sick up and down. I thought he was making bogey for sure. Uh, short sided on 17. And then obviously the, the two putts, the great lag on, uh, on 18 to, to wrap up the title. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's getting to a point to where, it's it's a really scary proposition seeing Wyndham Clark on a leaderboard, which is something that I never really thought I'd say a few months ago. Um, so all the credit to him. Big credit to our boy Spencer Aguiar over at Rotoballer, who called that pre-tournament at 100 to one. Um, and I, I like I said, I I didn't get a chance to read his article until like midway through the tournament, but I read it and I read it on like Friday night, and when Wyndham was like lurking around the leaderboard but not quite in the lead yet. I think Ricky and uh, Xander were probably still the two favorites at that point in the tournament. But I remember reading that part or reading that part of the article, the pre-tournament article. And I was like, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and then here we are a couple of days later with Clark lifting the trophy. So shout out to Spencer. That was a hell of a call. Um, and I think, you know, for those for those people that maybe just trusted the numbers a little bit more and just took all the narratives out of it, uh, they got rewarded with a guy in Wyndham Clark that has certainly um, proven to be the breakout star of 2023. So, um yeah, that's that's all I want to say. I don't want to go on too long by myself, Chris. I know, um, you know, we had the Scotty ticket. Just just maybe talk us through. I know you actually hedged on Wyndham. Uh, I saw in the group chats uh, earlier. So maybe talk about your experience on Sunday, holding a holding a little Wyndham exposure, and, and maybe the ups and downs of uh, of what kind of you saw on Sunday at the US Open. Yeah, it's not something I like. I do every week or anything, but it was just one of those things where I was. I actually had the day to like kind of sit down and pretty much watch the whole tournament on Sunday or the whole day on Sunday. Um, and I had, there was one of our live ads that I didn't get in on and I was also on cam pre-turning. So I had like a little bit to play with. Um, and I got to the point where I noticed that Scotty really wasn't gaining the way I wanted him to. It kind of seemed like he was falling out of the mix. Uh, and I wanted to get on, on, on one of the three. Um, I actually really debated Ricky at the beginning of the day. And I'm glad I didn't do that. Uh, but yeah, I think it was, as I'm looking at the scorecard now, actually, I think I said in the group chat it was hole six, but I think it was actually hole eight when I went live because he bogeyed, right. but, that, but that hole was a disaster. And like, it looked like yeah. he was going to go like seven or eight on that hole. And the fact that he only got out with a bogey and like the next hole just bounced right back par on the par three. I was like, I got to jump in now. Like this, this just doesn't feel like a tournament he's going to lose. Like it just yeah. seemed like Rory wasn't making the putts to make the move and Wyndham was kind of just kind of holding steady. Like, come on, if you're going to beat me, come on. Um, so, yeah, I did jump in live. Um, it wasn't a great number by any means. I want to say it was like plus 325 or something like that. Um, but, yeah, just just enough to just get a little bit more in the bank account. Um, not positive by any means, but just to, just to hedge the loss a little bit. Right. Um, but, yeah, yeah. I, honestly, the whole day on Sunday, I, I enjoyed every second of it. Like, other than Ricky kind of blowing up, <laughs> that, yeah. that, I, that I didn't want to see. Um but yeah, it felt like I don't know, it felt almost like Rory 
I think it was the Masters, right, where it just felt like he needed a few putts to fall, and he was just, like, lagging everything up so great every single time. just couldn't get them to fall. Yeah. And meanwhile, like like I said, Wyndham was just, like, he wasn't perfect, but he wasn't doing enough to lose it either. So, like, it just – I don't know. I had a lot of fun watching it. Um, so, the only guy I didn't have an emotional or monetary tie to, I was like, well, I might as well hedge myself and have make this a little bit more fun for me on Sunday. So, that was kind of my mindset. Not probably yeah. the best betters prophecy there, but – Hey, it, it worked out. I mean, I, I I get it because I think a lot of us coming into Sunday like expected one of Wyndham or Ricky to kind of fade. Um, and I think it, it was never really clear, but I, I, I always felt like the winner was going to come from that second group. If Like I, I went into – obviously we had a big Scotty ticket. I went into Sunday with a mindset of if we can just beat Rory because Scotty was paired with Rory, Rory's at nine, Scotty was at seven, and then Wyndham and, and Fowler were at ten each heading into the day, I was like, if we can beat Rory in our own group, like, we've got a really good chance here. Because I, I feel like one of Wyndham or, or Fowler are going to fade, and then the other one I don't think is going to get too far ahead. And, you know, it kind of panned out just like that with Wyndham, Rory, and Scheffler all finished even for the day. Ricky shot 75. Um, and, yeah, to your point, man, it was just pivotal moments for Rory, man, because, like, he had great chances and, to your point, just couldn't get a birdie to fall. And then, he, you know, the back nine hit, and he was right there. Had a wedge on 14, puts it in the bunker, makes bogey. And uh, it's just the same story over and over again because, man, you just can't bogey a par five, especially on a back nine that severe, that difficult at LACC. Makes bogey on 14, Wyndham makes birdie. And then all of a sudden you kind of need a bit of a miracle if you're Rory with Wyndham at 12, I think at that point, and Rory stayed at nine uh, for the duration. So, yeah, it just – it feels like uh, – I mean – I feels like Roy's going to win one eventually right I mean he just he's he's kind of peaking in that like pre-COVID Rory and we, we've seen this now and again like we saw it last summer at the kind of the stretch from Canada all the way to the Open Championship uh last year where he just kind of racked up top fives he was always in the mix um maybe didn't get quite as much out of it from a winning perspective as maybe he should have and this year's kind of con um very similar but yeah I mean the the game looks looks great for Rory all around. Um, and I mean, Scotty, it feel, I mean, I watched obviously pretty much every shot he hit. It didn't really feel like he ever had his a game outside of maybe the end of the day on Friday. And then the two holes to end on Saturday um, felt like he had his B minus C plus game for a lot of that week and ends up three shots off, which is just scary. So yeah, I, I again, it, it wasn't, I don't think the best, the best sweat, I think, you know, Solo third is maybe a bit flattering just based on, like, the chances he actually had to win on Sunday. Kind of once Scotty made par on on one and then par on six, those are the two holes you really have to take advantage of um, on that front side because after after you go to seven, you have maybe, like, two holes where they're going to play under par, and then other than that, you're, you're really kind of hanging on. And it's very difficult to make up ground if guys like Wyndham are getting up and down from everywhere. So, um, yeah, but a secuous open, I, I thought I enjoyed LACC. <clears throat> like I said, maybe just a few small caveats. Um, but yeah, excited to go back there in 2039, uh, 16 years from now. So we'll see if, if Wyndham can repeat as a 45 year old, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's, I guess all we got to say. Um, and yeah, we'll be on, we'll be on laying coin tomorrow. Right. So I think uh, so. I was actually yeah. going to ask you about that. I haven't heard from them, but we're supposed okay. to be. <laughs> I feel like that's just kind of how they roll. They'll probably send us a text at like 6.30 tomorrow afternoon. But um, 
But yeah, I'm sure Rory and, and Mark will have plenty to say about the 07. So if you want further thoughts and further discussion, we'll do that. But I know, um, you know, y'all didn't tune in to listen to losers just uh, <laughs> go back and forth, ruin the, ruin the lost bets. So let's move on, Travelers, um, which I think is a really interesting event coming off a major elevated event for the first time in its history. $20 million on the line. All the big players are here. And now you go to a golf course that um, I'll kind of go into in a little bit, but opens up up possibilities for a lot of players in this field. That was, that was honestly the most shocking part to me was what you just said. Like that was going to be my little intro here is like, we're going to TPC River Highlands. We're going to, to Cromwell, Connecticut, and it's elevated. Like I didn't realize it was an elevated week. So like it just completely yeah. caught me off guard until I was like, oh, wow, they elevated this event. Um, but yeah, we have some, some big names to talk about at a very short course. Um, mm-hmm. I think you mentioned in our group chat, you know, there's a lot of different uh, skill sets that can, that can really bring you to, to be victorious here. So it kind of brings a lot more guys into play. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's, let's hear a little bit about TPC River Highlands. Yeah, it's weird. It's, it's actually like we've had three major championships and the three events that directly followed them all are kind of corollary to each other. So like after Augusta, we had Harbor town after the PGA, we had colonial and now we have river Highlands after LACC. So it's, it's kind of crazy to see just like the drastic shift in venue, like from Augusta national to Harbor town and then et cetera. Um, and so on, but we are at TBC River Highlands uh, in Cromwell, Connecticut, to Chris's point, a 6,800, 41-yard par 70. This is the second shortest course on the PGA Tour, uh, the shortest being Port Royal for the Bermuda Championship. So that's kind of a lower-rung fall swing event. So if you want to talk like main mainline schedule, this is the shortest course we see all year. Uh, Pete Dye design uh, that we are quite familiar with. Uh, the first we've seen Pete Dye since we played Harbortown and the Zurich at TBC Louisiana back-to-back. Uh, but if you go through the past champions, again, to Chris's point, did a good job introing that. But you'll see a lot of variety on this kind of past champion leaderboard. Last year, obviously, the defending champion was Xander Shoffley. Got to 19 under and beat JT Poston and Sahiti Gala on Sunday. Uh, Harris English won here in 2021 at minus 13 in a playoff over Kramer Hickok. Dustin Johnson beat Kevin Streelman in 2020 at 19 under par. Shez Reeby at 17 under, one in 2019 over Keegan Bradley and Zach Sucker or Sucker. I'm not actually sure. Uh, 2018, Bubba Watson uh, won by three over Sink. Uh, Stuart Sink, Paul Casey, J.B. Holmes, and Bo Hostler at, at 17 under par. Jordan Spieth beat Daniel Berger at 12 under par in 2017 in that famous uh, whole lot from the bunker in the sudden death playoff there. Uh, Russell Knox won in 2016 and minus 14 over Jerry Kelly. And then in 2015, Bubba Watson again uh, won the second of his three Travelers Championships over Paul Casey in a playoff. So, like I said, Bubba won here as well in 2010, uh, 2015, and 2018. That was um, making River Highlands the second venue on tour where Bubba has won three times, Riviera obviously being the other. Um, and kind of what we already alluded to, just about the past champions, about the current state of the field this week. But what makes this event super interesting is that for maybe only the second time in an elevated event, I would throw Harbortown in there as well. The golf course really enables many different skill sets to contend. Uh, I mean, this is an event, like I said, that's seen Dustin Johnson and Brendan Todd duel it, up, duel it out in a final group in 2020. Um, in 20, uh, sorry, yeah, 2010, Bubba Watson outdueled Corey Pavin in a playoff. Corey Pavin, legit one of the shortest hitters to ever play on the PJ Tour. And then last year, or two years ago, Kramer Hickok, uh, got into a playoff and uh, despite being one of the shortest hitters in the field and below average on approach. Uh, so when you can kind of compare it to the bigger ball star 
bigger ballparks that are super constrictive, uh, provide super top-heavy leaderboards like Bay Hill, Mirfield Village, Quail Hollow. Um, you know, when it comes to elevated events, this is kind of like a shining beacon for the middle to lower class on the PJ Tour. Like this is, has to be – this is an event where, you know, he's not really playing well, but a Kevin Kisner type of player can be like, yeah, I mean, I can I can win the $3.5 million prize here. I mean, you just hit the fairway, hit a few wedges, and make some putts. Um, it's a lot more straightforward of an avenue for these kind of, again, lower-run guys than maybe – you know, obviously a place like Quail or Bay Hill, et cetera. So, and then obviously that doesn't even factor in the mental wear uh, of guys like Scotty and Rory, Ricky Fowler coming off, you know, a grueling four-round fight of the U.S. Open. Um, you know, we've seen guys like Jordan Spieth and Hovland and Rom speak pretty openly about the fatigue factor in the week directly after a major championship, uh, after contending, um, you know, kind of the mental toll it takes on you. And, uh, and so, yeah, just another – just another factor into maybe um, discrediting the the possibilities, discrediting the projections uh, for these guys going forward. You know, I mean, it's it's one of those things where it kind of feels like, you know, how many of these guys would really be here if they were going to get fined $3 million for not showing up like Rory did at Quail Hollow, um, or not Quail Hollow, at Harbortown, I'm pretty sure is the one he skipped uh, and lost $3 million. So, yeah. Stage being set, though, let's get into the actual golf course and kind of the key stats I'm looking at. Again, TBC River Highlands, 6,840 yards. Just like Colonial and Harbortown, it's tree-lined. It's positional. It's not nearly as tight as those other designs, though. I, I feel like this is a place you can maybe get away a bit more with spraying it off the tee. Um, but in in general, it's a bit more forgiving driving test than either of those two golf courses. The driving accuracy here is, is above four average. It's 69%. Uh, however, much like, again, Pete Dye designs your typical, like, positional short um, kind of golf courses. If your drives do start to get wayward, if you do start to spray it off the tee, um, this course will dish out some very severe penalties. Uh, River Highlands ranked inside the top five in both missed fairway penalty and penalty rate, which is the percentage of missed fairways that result in a penalty stroke. Uh, over 8% of wayward drives ended up uh, resulting in a penalty stroke here. Um, and so, yeah, driving the ball in the fairway, driving the ball in the short grass, uh, is extremely, extremely important um, as it's a mix of, I think, uh, four-inch Kentucky bluegrass and ryegrass, so a very similar mixture to what we saw at Oakdale just a few weeks ago, uh, although I wouldn't call it nearly as penal as, like, the just straight hack at gouged out rough that we saw in Canada, but certainly um, above average and rough penalty, above average, um, again, in, in penalty rate as well. Um, now, we have seen our fair share of long drivers have success here. Bubba Watson, Dustin Johnson, uh, Xander Shoffley being kind of the three most paramount. But overall, the more consistent players year in, year out, if you kind of sort by just strokes gain total over the last 40 years or over the last five years, um, you know, a lot of those guys have followed a more conservative game plan off the tee, like Brian Harmon, number one in strokes gain total this event over the last five years, Chez Reeve, past champion, Kevin Streelman, Kevin Kisner. Um, these are the guys that tend to populate these type of leaderboards. Um, and so much like his fellow positional courses in the Southeast, I'm not entirely worried about these like general year long driving stats, like strokes can off the tee, total driving, uh, that I usually lean on at, at you know, these driver heavy Torrey Pines style of venues. Um, my focus is almost entirely on players that have histories, um, of success driving the ball at kind of these shorter, more tactical venues. So for reference, I run a, like a little special positional model, um, in, in events like these, it basically is a 
combination of strokes gain off the tee, good drive percentage and fairway percentage. Um, and I filter it only for comp courses like Harbor Town, Colonial, Sawgrass, Pebble Beach, Wiley, et cetera. Um, just a few of the names that popped out to me. Hovland is the best driver of the golf ball on these kind of shorter positional golf courses when you take all the metrics into account. Uh, Sung J.M. comes out number two. Corey Connors, Hayden Buckley, Russell Henley, Aaron Rye, Siwoo Kim, Brian Harmon, Matt Fitzpatrick, Scotty Scheffler, Shaz Reevy, Colin Morikawa, Tom Kim, Keegan Bradley, Austin Ekro. So as you can see, it's a lot of kind of your stereotypical plotters, guys that hit a ton of fairways in general. But you do have your guys like a like a Hovland, like a Scheffler, um, you know, like a like a Hayden Buckley that do hit the ball quite a long ways, but still are able to hit it straight enough to, to gain strokes off the tee consistently at venues like this. So moving on to the second shot, and seeing as that all I've talked about for the last 15 minutes is how short this golf course is, uh, approaches of the Travelers are greatly skewed towards short and mid irons uh, and wedges as well, I guess, grouped into short irons. Um, but over two-thirds of approach shots have come from inside 175 yards. Over half of historical approach shots have come from 125 to 175 uh, the 4th and the 10th are the only two par 4s on property that measure over 445 yards. And with only two par 5s um, here at River Highlands, long iron play isn't nearly as impactful to success as we've seen at many of the tours, other marquee events thus far in 2023. So as far as modeling goes, I'm using two different approach models this week. One is more of a long-term proximity model, the draw splits from the last calendar year. Uh, special emphasis from 125 to 175, like I said. Um, and then one, the other one is the one I'm actually weighing a bit more this week. And it's pretty similar to the models I've used in kind of the recent iron intensive birdie parties, um, like an Oakdale, like colonial, even like a Craig ranch or Valero, um, that mixes just over the last three months, who's had the best strokes can approach stats. Who's been the best putter. Who's been the best at creating birdie chances inside 15 feet and who's made the most birdies. I feel like that gets a pretty, gives you a pretty decent idea of kind of the hottest combination of iron play and putting in this field, because um, with a projected winning score around 18 to 20 under, like this is not a golf course where you're going to be able to lose a lot of strokes putting, even lose any strokes putting um, and truly contend. I think um, just based on the amount of wedges these guys are going to have in, like it's not going to be all that difficult for your average ball striker to create birdie chances. Um, and so it's going to be hard to keep up if you're, you know, hemorrhaging strokes on the greens. So putting is, is definitely a, a stat that I'm weighing a lot more than say last week at LACC or at a place like Mirfield village, um, around the greens. Um, now in direct contrast to kind of your typical wedge fest, the travelers does present a few challenges to players, uh, that do miss the greens. Typically when you see like winning scores in the 20 under par range and a lot of wedges, you think of just taking her out around the green play guys are going to hit a ton of greens anyway. So it doesn't really matter. Uh, but the travelers was actually the second most difficult course on tour last year to get the ball up and down from the fairway and the fifth most difficult to get out up and down out of the rough. Um, now the bunkers are right around tour average in difficulty and players should be expected to hit about 70 to 80% of the greens here, especially guys that are towards the top of the leaderboard. Um, but you do need some short game skill. If you're going to, you know, if you do end up missing and in some bad spots over the course of the week. So um I'm treating it more as a tiebreaker. Like, like I said, a lot of these similar venues, I don't really wait around the green play at all, but I do. I would like you to have some kind of short game acumen. Um, if, if I'm going to have exposure to you this week, I don't want you to be complete zero around the greens. And then finally the greens themselves at river Highlands uh, will give us our first taste of East coast poem. We talked about the little bit on Derek's Twitter spaces. Um, when one of the callers or one of the audience members asked me kind of the difference between East and West coast Poena. Um East coast Poena this week traditionally 
blended with bent grass. Um, and this strain of Poa isn't nearly as inconsistent as the, its West Coast counterpart. Um, people or guys that play Torrey Pines and Riviera and Pebble Beach every year pretty uniformly, um, if not complain about, at least acknowledge the fact that the Poa and the Greens are a real big factor down the stretch, um, accounting for the fact that you're just not going to get as true of a role um, as you will on like a bent grass or even Bermuda. Um, but um, yeah. No, no need to be like overly emphasize. Like, no need to overly emphasize the Poana. I think this week, I think the Greens at Travelers are a lot more forgiving um, than you'll see on the West Coast. Like, the three percentage is way down. The miss putts inside five and ten feet are way down. So, I honestly have no issue waiting. Like recent Bedgrass splits from other Northeastern courses we've been to recently, like Oakdale, Oak Hill. Um, even though they don't have the Poa mix in them, I think they're mop. Those those golf courses are a lot more comparable with their green complexes than again the places that we see on the West Coast early in the year. Uh, if you do want to look at historical markers on like similar services, uh, Detroit Golf Club that hosts the Rocket Mortgage has similar bent grass, poana grass, um, kind of hybrid greens. Beth Page Black and Brookline would be the three kind of recent events that feature the same, like I said, hybrid uh, bent grass poa mix. So, uh, yeah. With that being said, uh, final stats. Like I said. Stroke scan approach um, and just general hot incoming iron form is my number one uh, way to metric. Birdies are better gain slash stroke scan putting um, right up there. Just number two. Uh, I do want a guy that is reliable off the tee. Um, if not it at the top of the driving accuracy metrics, um, that at least a guy that's shown for sufficiency on these kind of shorter golf courses as well. Um, kind of knows how to get around a golf course that you don't necessarily need driver on every hole. Um, and then a little bit of course history, like I said, Travelers is pretty heavily correlated to Harbortown, to Colonial, to Wiley, even a little bit of Sawgrass in there as a Pete Dye uh, comp, Sedgefield as well, another kind of shorter golf course that uh, penalizes missed fairways a lot. So acumen, historical acumen on those courses, I think, is a, is a pretty telling sign for success this week. So final model ranking, uh, the moment you guys have all been waiting for. Uh, but John Rahm does lead uh, my model this week, mainly because I did weigh putting so highly. Um, guys like Scheffler and Rory, uh, you'll see, have kind of fallen down, um, at least compared to the, their traditional ranking in my model. Scheffler's been number one for the last few months, it feels like, but Rom does take the number one spot this week. Uh, number two is the defending champion, Xander Shoffley. Number three is, uh, well, not the runner-up last year, but the player that was in the final group with Xander, Patrick Cantley, is number three. Uh, Victor Hovland is number four for me. Scotty is number five. Uh, Colin Morikawa is number six. Uh, Russell Henley is number seven. Corey Connors is number eight. Rory is number nine. Uh, like I said, mostly because of putting. Uh, Hideki is number 10. Tommy Fleetwood is 11. Tom Kim is 12. Siwoo Kim is 13. Tony Finau is 14. And then Chez Reeve, uh 2019 champion, is number 15 there. Uh, a few more wild cards that we might get to a little bit down the board, but some guys that caught my eye uh, from kind of 16 to 30. Austin Eckroat has been going on a really nice run uh, with his approach play as putting. Uh, notably one of the top 10 positional drivers of the golf ball in these comp courses, Aaron Rye, a guy that we were pretty heavily on in, in Canada. I think this sets up as a, as a pretty solid spot for Aaron Rye. Eric Cole, another guy, irons and putting. You weigh those two things, and Eric Cole tends to tends to uh, pop up on, on modeling and, and leaderboards um, on tests like this. Austin Putnam, who we'll get to in a little bit later, and then Mark Hubbard, who's on a pretty sick iron run right now. So, um, yeah, those are kind of five guys that maybe from down the board, if you're looking for some long shots some sleepers, uh, guys that maybe, um, outperformed maybe my expectations in, in the modeling this week. So, 
Um, yeah, that's all I got to say about travelers. Unless Chris has any questions, we'll get into the betting board. Yeah, and I guess the main thing that I took away from reading some of the articles out there is just uh, like you know, I think you mentioned it too, how correlative this this course is to not only like its own history, but you know, it's looking at the course the courses that fit it, fit it best. It's pretty. It's stuck to be pretty true from year, like yeah. year over year. Like the guys that are good here are good here. So, um, yeah. you know, we've we talked about this before, right? Like we talked about like the genre of like shorts, par seventies, yeah. typically in the south, but obviously we're in Connecticut this week. But yeah, um, yeah, this is definitely like a like even before it was elevated. This is like a stop that your Brian Harmon and your Kevin Kisner's were like, okay, I can make my money this week, right? Like I'm getting my ass kicked at Torrey Pines or the U.S. Open or Bay Hill, but like now you're kind of on my turf. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see that dichotomy of guys that are going to come here with a lot of confidence and, and, you know, feel like this is a chance to maybe catch a big fish um, versus, you know, some guys that are objectively better players, but maybe not as um, just as stellar, of course, fits. Uh, if you just kind of look back to their kind of historical profiles. So um, yeah, that leads into kind of the betting strategy this week. And we'll get into that um, as we kind of get on the odds board. Yeah. And one other quick aside too was I didn't realize that from a from those of you that are out there in like one and done pools, this is kind of like the last <laughs> big event before like you've got this, the British, the uh, British Open, and then you've got the two playoffs, uh, FedEx playoffs event. So if you've got like your big fish left in your pools, like now's the time to start using them because yeah, you don't have many other chances to use them after this. So which is crazy to think about because we still got so much of the season left, but. It flies by, man. I mean, we don't – I mean, we're already th- three-quarters of the way through major season. I mean, we're in June. It'll be July in 10 days or so, um, which means we have, yeah, like two months of the PJ Tour season, which is just crazy to think about. it flown by for us. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, so with that being said, let's go ahead and jump to the odds board. And I was originally going to kind of pair the like the top two and then the next two together, but honestly, they're all – so kind of close in your model for the most part. Let's just talk about the top four, right? Scotty, yeah. John, Patrick, Rory. Um, you know, they're all in your roundabout top like seven or eight. Yeah. Um, but you know, maybe not as as maybe Scotty shouldn't be as far out ahead as he is on the Osborne compared to like how you have him. Um yeah. so what are your kind of thoughts on on these top four? And and did you consider going to, you know, like a like a Patrick at that eleven to one price or something like that? Or John, because yeah. number one, your model 10 to 1 is... It's true. It's true. I, I actually think you got it right the first time. I think if I were to make a move at the top, it would be Cantley, just given his recent form, um, not only with the ball striking in 2023, having an all-time ball striking season by his standards, um, but he's been stellar around the travelers. He's been stellar at these kind of shorter, um, you know, positional birdie parties. He's actually one of the few kind of top-tier players that continually goes back to places like the Shriners and to the Travelers and, you know, places like this where you're going to have a lot of wedges and then he plays Detroit Golf Club a lot. Um, I think he's played it each of the, each of the first three years. It's been on, on the tour schedule, came top five there last year. Um, and so Cantley, I feel like, is kind of the best suited um, for this type of venue. I feel like when you talk about Rom, when you talk about Rory and Scheffler, um, I think they each have their own specific concerns. Scheffler at six and a half to one, like we've kind of talked about just – how inevitable the Scheffler one is, is like, it's coming. Like it's something's coming soon for Scotty. Uh, and you kind of have to just pick your spots. Last week was obviously a spot that I felt very comfortable with Scotty in. Um, and just, if you look at like the spectrum of like places that I think Scotty's can really kind of press his advantage at, 
I don't think River Highlands is, is, is really that venue. Um, obviously, he's a phenomenal wedge player, and he's perfectly capable of leading the field from tee to green and, um, and winning this golf tournament. But you're talking about six and a half to one at a golf course where I don't think his driver is going to be um, as big of an asset as it will be as, as it was at LACC or some of the bigger venues. Um, his long iron play historically has, given, has been a big time separate for him. Um, and even though he's a good wedge player, it, again, this feels like a venue where you're going to have to gain three, four strokes putting something that he hasn't done in, in months now. Right. So, um, yeah, Scotty six and after one was never really a play for me. Rory would just, uh, I, I just don't think Rory really wants to be here. Uh, then you factor that in with the two, I mean, what are the two weaknesses of Rory's game wedges and putting, um, I know he was right there in the mix at the Canadian Open, but um, yeah, if, if he's going to beat me this week at ten to one, I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable with that. And then Rom, um, I think is probably the most compelling just because he has that putting upside. We've seen it more recently with Rombo, a guy that can absolutely gain five, six, seven shots on the greens and and win a birdie fest like this. Um, but you look back at you know historically, what does Rom maybe struggle with? Just an overarching struggle of Rom's game is, has been the wedge play as well, particularly when we get into maybe some of the more receptive golf courses where he can't really control his spin as much. Rom tends to play a lot better when greens maybe firm up a little bit and he doesn't have to worry about his spin control um, or balls whipping back off the green as, as much. So um, I don't know. Like these guys are the, at the top of the board for a reason. They're very compelling options. Um, but I just, I'm just not, I just don't see the same separation in a field like this, in a venue like this as compared to, uh, you know, event like last week where I felt like, if these guys played their best, they could really separate themselves from Tita Green. So, um, yeah, not not the spot for any of these guys here. But uh, if I had to pick a favorite, I, I think Cantley would, would probably be the guy that I would be most scared of um, from, like, an hour perspective. Yeah, it really feels like he's just, like, been knocking on the door. Like, he's just – it's he needs that – I feel like it's kind of the story for him a lot of times. Like, until really – except for, like, you know – was it two years ago now, I guess, in the playoffs where he just kind of kept reeling them off? Yeah. Um, but we really haven't seen that from Cantley in a while. So if I here's the here's the the phrase, the uh, he's due. He's due. He's definitely due. Yeah. All right. Um, two guys under 20 to 1. Xander Shoffley, Victor Hovland. Um, you had a lot to say about kind of both these guys. And, um, you know, I'm sure it was hard for you to kind of pass these, yeah. pass it up here to, to go down the board. But, um, yeah, what do you what do you think about these two? Yeah, uh, as we go down the board, I, I start to get a bit more enticed with a 14-1 to Xander Shoffley, with an 18- or 20-1 to Victor Hovland. Um, I think these guys have profiles that are just as fitting, maybe if not more fitting, than guys at the top of the board. Um, and I think that they just have a bit more of a stable floor just based on kind of their skill set. Uh, Xander rates out number one from kind of my key proximity ranges. Obviously won this event last year. Him, just like Cantley, I feel like um, I like Xander's fit on these kind of Northeastern bent grass courses. He tends to put really, really well on bent grass as evidenced by his win last year. And then Victor Hovland, I feel like he just has the concerns that I had about Vic last week with LICC. I, I don't have those same concerns um, this week because I, I feel like this is kind of a point A to point B golf course. Doesn't require near as much kind of creativity and shot shaping um, and variety around the green. So um, I think this is a golf course that Victor could just kind of pick apart. Um, and the putter is good enough to where if the ball striking comes along with Victor to Hartford, um, he's a guy like Rom that I wouldn't be surprised to gain four, five, six strokes putting and, and be right there in contention. So, um, yeah, we're getting closer for sure. Um, and I, to, I mean, if you've looked at my card and you know our kind of u- typical unit allocation, 
Um, you'll know that we did leave quite a bit of room. So time will tell if maybe this is a range I'm interested in adding in tournament. Um, but at 14 or 18 to one, I just didn't feel, um, didn't feel enough conviction to, to make that move and, and take up this sizable portion of the budget this early in the week. So, um, do like these guys again. Um, I think based on just pure value, um, I would, I would take Xander and Victor before I would take either the, any of the guys below 12 to one. Um, but like I said, there's still plenty of really compelling names to get to as we get on the board. Yeah. And that brings us to actually two guys in the twenties. Um, but we still haven't gotten to our first bet yet and it doesn't come here either, but which is surprising because we've got Colin Morikawa at 20 and Tommy Fleetwood at 25 to one Tommy with a, a great Sunday at yeah. the U S open uh, to, to finish out T five. Um, and then obviously Colin looks like he was T 14 yeah, um, on Sunday, made a little charge, not as much, not as much as Tommy's, but um, kind of salvaged a really respectable finish to the U S open. Yeah. So yeah, I guess two guys here that are, I think Tommy's price is a little inflated to me, but maybe you disagree. But um, yeah, I guess what do you think about these two guys? Is Tommy's price basically reflective of what just happened on Sunday? I would say so. Uh, I mean, Tommy's playing some of the best golf we've seen out of him in like legitimately years. So I, although I do think 25 to one is probably the high watermark, I think you could, you could pretty easily find 30, 35 to one on Fleetwood. Uh, if you really shopped around and really were, were interested in betting that um, let's start with Colin. I mean, this you know, we'll kind of get into some of my bets later in the um, later in the segment, but I mean, a lot of the guys that I have pointed to and have starred this week are very much kind of minor league versions of what Colin Morikawa does really well at his peak. Hits a ton of fairways. I mean, he's super reliable on approach. I mean, over the last five starts, Morikawa has gained uh, 3.5 shots per tournament on approach. That's not even counting his memorial um, tournament that he had to withdraw with. That he was. Uh, he was at plus five, I think, before he even teed off on Sunday at uh, Memorial. So it was good to see him get through the LA, uh, the U.S. Open without any kind of reoccurring problems from the back spasms. Um, actually got better as the week went along. So I think Colin's actually the most compelling name we've gotten to thus far on the board. I've seen uh, upwards of 25 to 1 on Colin Morikawa. Uh, that would be a move I'm, I'm quite interested in making. Um, the only, I guess, the only caveat would just be um, I think there's – very similar problems in Morikawa's profile as guys that are double his number in that I think the ball striking splits, there's not a lot of like nits to pick in that regard, but is Morikawa going to be able to, you know, make enough 10 to 15 footers to, uh, to keep up with the pace I think will be set. So um, he's probably the most popular I would, I would assume, or I would guess of, of all the guys like uh, kind of under 30 to one. Uh, and I see exactly what they're, what they're talking about there. Um, as for Tommy, yeah, Tommy's sneaky. I mean, it's it's really, really gross to have to bet Tommy Fleetwood at 30 to 1 in a field like this. But when you're talking about guys that are coming in in like stellar form, uh, Fleetwood kind of comes right to the top of that list. He's got a phenomenal track record on these kind of short positional golf courses. He just came second at Oakdale, uh, which is another kind of wedge intensive positional course in the Northeast. Um, again, I, I do feel like I have the same concerns that I did with Tommy at Oakdale and that like I would rather bet Tommy whenever like the winning score is going to be higher or lower, whatever, whatever you want to say, like where you don't need to make, where you don't need to shoot 66, 65 uh, in order to keep pace with the leaders. Um, I mean, as evidenced by, I mean, he finished run over at Oakdale and, and you know, came um, what a shot short to, to Nick Taylor that week, but gained 9.2 strokes putting. And it feels like if 
if he's going to get 9.2 strokes putting and still not be able to kind of get over the line, um, I don't know if, if I'm ready to, to take that leap. So I would, I would more so trust more Cowas ball striking um, at, at maybe the, the slightly worse number. Uh, but I do feel like there's a more stable floor in his ability to create chances uh, for birdie. Whereas I feel like Tommy, um, you know, maybe not the optimal setup with, uh, with him. I, I would almost prefer him again, if this course was stretched out a bit, if it played a bit firmer uh, and he was having had a lot of long irons, maybe rely a bit more on a short game. So that would be my case against Tommy, but uh, both these guys I think are, are pretty compelling options. This week. I don't have a ton of bad things to say. All right. Well, now here's where things get interesting because now we are all the way to the 30 to one range and this is where the bets start flying in. However, we do have these some of these guys at, at very different numbers, but um, I'd imagine at these prices, you're still probably pretty interested. Um, but we've got in the 30 range, Tom Kim at 30 to 1, Tony Finau at 30 to 1, Matty Fitz at 35 to 1, Ricky Fowler at 35 to 1, and Russell Henley at 35 to 1. So pretty fun range to talk about here. Um, you know, Tom Kim, another guy who made a kind of a surge on the leaderboard on Sunday at the U.S. Open at a yeah. track where nobody probably expected him to make a surge in the leaderboard. Um, yeah, you know, Tony and Matty Fitz kind of had their ups and downs the last few weeks. Ricky Fowler, we just saw, I mean, great play through 54 holes, just couldn't quite bring it bring it home after 72. Yeah. Um, and I don't really know a lot about Russell, but I knew that you've got some good things to say about him this week. So, yeah, I'm curious to hear what you had to say about this group of guys here. Yeah, there was a split second on on Saturday where I was like, "Is Tom Kim really going to like be in contention to the U.S. Open?" That's that would just be wild, given kind of the lackluster form he'd shown going in. Um, he was about as much of a fade from me as maybe humanly possible. So for him to finish eighth there, uh, really impressed me. And yeah, that's my first bet of the week. I have him at fifty to one. Uh, he was pretty widely available at forty forty five uh, early in the week. I feel like the community is kind of pretty savvy to what Tom Kim just did at LACC. Uh, we've bet that number down to the 30, 35 to one range. So hopefully uh, you're able to kind of follow the breadcrumbs on golf Twitter and get that kind of 50 to one, 45 to one that, that a lot of people have, but man, yeah, just when we were about to mail in 2023 is a bit of a lost season for, for our boy, Tommy, he goes out and gains seven and a half shots on approach at a 7,400 yard golf course in LACC. That eighth place finish at the US open is arguably his most impressive individual result to date, just given his current skill set. I mean, we know he's good when, the fairways are pinched in and driving accuracy is a premium. And given his stellar run iron play, it's, it was not really a surprise to me that he won Wyndham and won at the Shriners uh, last fall, but eighth place at the U S open, I think is, is a really, really top result um, for kind of where he is at his, in his career. And now he has that, that same opportunity to carry the momentum forward into a, what I think is a dream spot here at, at river Highlands. Um, he still rates out as one of the most reliable drivers of the ball on these short positional tracks. He's 11th in fairways gained over his last 50 rounds, 14th in total driving on courses under 7,200 yards in his short career. Excuse me. And he's proven that he can he can maintain lofty ball striking splits from week to week when something begins to click in the swing. Uh, you know, that obviously the seven-start stretch that he had to start his PGA Tour career last year where he gained nearly five shots per tournament with his irons. Um, if the game is, is really back and the swing is really back in a way that it kind of has to be to produce plus 7.5 splits at LACC. Um, you know, River Highlands, a win here at River Highlands would pair, you know, perfectly with his two other two short course triumphs in Greensboro and Las Vegas. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm not missing out here at 50 to 1. I kind of knew I was going to make this bet uh, when I saw just the way he ended um, the week in L.A. 
And I was kind of hoping for a number in the 40, 50 to one range. We got that on Monday morning and, and hit that pretty hard. So that's my first bet of the week. It was my biggest bet to this, or at least to this point, it's my biggest bet of the week um, is Tom Kim at 50 to one. And it's, it's paired right alongside Russell Henley, uh, who we also got at 50 to one. Now Russ hasn't gotten maybe as much hype as, as Tom Kim has. Uh, so you can still find him at 40, 45 to one across some sites. Um, but very much like Tom Kim, I mean, we talked about kind of the profile I'm looking for. Um, I liked Colin Morikawa's outlook, didn't like the number enough to bet him, but guys like Kim and, and Henley follow very similar paths to Colin and that their profile of driving accuracy and stellar iron play make them ever present threats at these kind of shorter positional venues. Um, you look up and down the corollary courses that I mentioned earlier, it's very difficult to find a related venue that Henley has not experienced previous success on. Um, he's finished sixth and ninth in his career at Harbortown. He just finished uh, 16th at Colonial just two months ago. Uh, fifth, seventh, and ninth in his last three starts at Sedgefield. He has two consecutive top 20s at Sawgrass. Um, and in the last two years, he has a win and a runner-up at the Sony Championship uh, or the Sony Open and Wileye win in Mayakoba last fall. Five starts here at River Highland, 6th, 11th, 19th, 32nd. So he should be thrilled that his game is peaking um, in time for this year's iteration. There's a $20 million prize bowl in the line for a player like Henley. This is a dream spot um, as he comes into this week as one of the hottest iron players on the planet. Last five starts, he gained 3.9 of the Heritage on approach, 3.7 of the PGA in just two rounds, uh, 2.9 of the Colonial, 6.4 at Millfield Village, and then 7.1 at LACC last week. Uh, we've seen a lot of actually recent winners. I, I forgot to mention this earlier in the past champions, but at least in recent years, especially since we've seen um, the Travelers kind of take the spot as the traditional post-US Open venue, we've seen a lot of kind of the recent winners of Travelers show real signs at the U.S. Open the week before. Uh, Shaz Review was coming off a third-place finish at Pebble Beach. Um, it was his best ball-striking month or best ball-striking week in six months uh, before winning here at the Travelers the next week. Harris English in 2021 finished third at Torrey Pines in the week before. Uh, he um, he logged his best approach week in over 18 months. In that week at the U.S. Open, DJ uh, won in the COVID, kind of the post-COVID era. So he was not coming off the U.S. Open, um, but he was coming off – his second start uh, post-COVID, he just gained 8.5 shots ball striking at Harbor Town the week before his 2020 win. And then Xander last year uh, was one of the hottest iron players on the planet in the five starts leading up to his win, uh, gaining over four and a half shots per tournament. So we've seen kind of some very clear uh, markers for like recent champions. Like they've tended to show, they've tended to show quite a bit of form um, in lead up to the Travelers. And I feel like um, if that trend continues, Tom and Russ are, two of the most likely beneficiaries, just given, I think, the the fit, the profile they have at a golf course like this and obviously what they've been doing um, kind of leading in. So I love the spot for each of them, and, you know, I'm not alone in that. I feel like, just judging by Twitter, um, if Tom Kim or Russ Henley win uh, this week, it'll be, a, it'll be a nice little party going on golf Twitter this week. So, um, yeah, those are my first two clicks at, uh, at 50 to 1 each. I would endorse them uh, 40, 45 to 1. Or, or that would probably be like 41 would probably be the spot where I start to get a little bit hesitant. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm in on the outright. I, I love like a top 20 plan, both of them targeting the matchups, et cetera. Uh, whatever you want to do. Handling and camera are two of my um, most bullish positions of the week. So I guess we'll talk a little bit about the rest of the guys in the range. Um, after that little spiel, but Tony Finau is a guy that I, I, always tend to like at these shorter positional tracks. We bet him feels like every year at the players, uh, you know, he's, he's got a run out finished colonial finished top 15 here last year, but he's a guy that, although he might not have the over, like the overall driving profile of like a 
guy you would typically expect to play well at a shorter venue like this. Like a, he's not like a Brian Harmon off the tee or a Kisner or a Morikawa, a guy that hits a ton of fairways traditionally. But when you get to these shorter kind of positional venues, like he, he he's really good at clubbing down um, and allowing him and keeping himself in position uh, even without the driver. Um, and so I love his just overall ball striking profile. This place, he just came off a, um, a solid performance at LACC, gained four and a half shots, four and a half shots um, on approach. So I could get behind Finau. Again, his his struggles, again, are going to be with the putter. Um, and strangely, I, I have just as much confidence in, in Henley's and, and Kim's putter as I do with Finau's. And I feel like they're 20 points down the board and, and they've shown you know, just as good, if not better, uh, splits of the ball striking as of recently. So I've kind of taken the discount on this. That was kind of my main decision point early in the week was like, do I want to kind of go down here and bet two guys in the twenties or the thirties, or do I want to kind of scatter out a bit uh, down the board and, and uh, yeah, got the fifties on Kim and Henley and that kind of made the decision for me. So um, Fowler, I <laughs> look, Ricky's like, Ricky's even, even without like the U S open this past week, I've kind of been saying like, Ricky's going to win one of these like lower rung, like shorter golf courses, um, I actually think it's a, maybe a bit of a detriment that he was so deep in contention last week. I think he'd be a lot more popular if he finished like T11 um, with the same exact ball striking profile. Um, but the approach in the putting, like the model I talked about earlier, that that weights recent approach splits, recent birdie splits, opportunity splits, and, and putting splits, like he's inside the top five. He's been like that for quite some time. Um, so if you can kind of, again, jump around the narrative that, you know, the fatigue narrative and just the the – you know, the fact that he might be drained after um, such a tough fight at LACC. Like, I, I like this spot for Ricky. I think maybe I've been looking ahead at, like, a potential Rocket Mortgage or a potential 3M. I feel like that's, like, a really, really nice spot for Ricky Fowler. We'll probably have to bet him, like, 18 to 1. But, um, but yeah, if you just want to take, a whole, like, a hard and fast stance on Fowler and just kind of bet him for the next two or three months, like, I don't have a lot of issue with that, especially on a golf course that is so iron-intensive and so um, reliant on the putter. So, Ricky would actually probably be my my favorite after um, after Kim and Henley in this range, um, but but yeah, I, I went with the two guys kind of at the highest price uh, at the start of the week. Yeah, and I like that the fact that we're at this short course and we're back on on Tom Kim. Um, it feels feels right, especially at the number that we got him. Like that's and yeah. uh, unfortunately, I was just checking odds checker. It looks like the best number you can get on him now is thirty five. So. Hopefully some people are able to jump in on that. Um, yeah. But uh, Russ, like you said, Russ is still available. Um, I'm seeing a 40 on pretty much yeah. the MGM, Borgata. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they've gotten hit They've gotten hit very hard, um, I feel like, by the community at large. So just maybe have more reason to log on to Twitter on Monday morning. You can kind of get a pretty good sense on who the greater – community is on some guys that you might respect in the space because typically um, if guys like Ben Coley and um, you know, Spencer Aguiar, a couple of these kind of higher profile writers are on them, Matt Vincenzi or all these guys, like the numbers aren't going to tend to stick around for very long. So um, yeah, that's just, unfortunately some of the pitfalls that we face uh, creating content on Tuesday night, but, um, but yeah, I think, I think most people are, are pretty savvy to, to Tom Kim's profile and, and the chances that, him and Henley have going in this week. All right. So let's move on to the four to one range where we do have two more bets 
um, at slightly different numbers. But we have Hideki Matsuyama, Max Homa, and Wyndham Clark all at 40 to 1. And then we've got Cam Young and Siwoo Kim at 45 to 1. So, yeah, obviously, Wyndham, last time he won, missed the cut the next time out. So I would assume Wyndham is not the play here. Um, Cam Young, I don't really know what to expect from this guy anymore. It seems crazy that. I know we say it every week, but it seems crazy that he was in our like 16 next gen golfers. And here we are half a year later and he's priced at 45 to one. But uh, if there's anything who's been, everyone who's betting him, Rory is betting him. So I'm sure we'll talk about that tomorrow. Yeah. But yeah, Decky and and Max Homa is kind of where the ones leading the charge here in this range. Um, So I'll let you kind of talk about these two guys. Yeah. Tough, uh, tough time to be on the Cam Young bandwagon. Last six starts, no finish above. Uh, 30 seconds actually last yeah last six starts no finish about 30 seconds so the putters disintegrated I mean the driver's always going to be good but the iron splits aren't nearly what they were whenever you know we were all clamoring to bet them at 25 to 1 um, every single week so I have confidence that Cam Young's still gonna find his game and still gonna contend um, but I feel like we got to see a bit more life um, before we go clicking too many buttons on Cam Young every single week um, but I bet Two guys in this range, to Chris's points. Uh, I start with Hideki Matsuyama uh, at 55 to 1. Um, and if we can go on the odds tracker grid here real quick, you can, yeah, 45 to 1 seems to be cons- consensus at FanDuel and points bet, bet three is five. Uh, some pretty prominent books have a 45 hanging around there. Um, and so I went to Hideki at 55. Uh, and, you know, the first two names we had in the card, Kim and Henley, um, you know, they fit more or less like a glove around this place. It's pretty easy to make the case for them. Uh, but as we've drifted past 50 to one, I'm going to start taking them shots on big names with clear winning potential that I think have drifted maybe a, a tier or two too far down the board when compared to the names around him and Hideki um, is the lowest, or I guess the most pricey, I guess on the, of the bunch at 55 to one, this next kind of threesome that I have here. Um, but he also kind of comes in with a, a clear statistical profile uh, similar to Henley and Kim. Matsuyama comes into the Travelers on a really, really nice ball striking run. Uh, he's getting an average of 4.75 shots on approach over his last five starts. Uh, he that ca- That's capped up by a tournament leading plus 8.6 on approach last week at LACC. Um, now, the obvious caveat with Deki is the if the putter can keep pace um, necessary to get to an 18-under or 20-under winning score. Um, but outside of two starts at the PGA and at the U.S. Open, funnily enough, uh, we haven't really seen the same, like, just – consistently bad putting from Decky. It's been pretty like consistent, like plus one, plus two. Um, the downside is obviously still there, but I like the fact that it seems like he's stabilized to a point to where um, he's had, you know, four or five start runs where he's gained on the greens, um, which does give me a bit of confidence, particularly when you're talking about a guy that his ball striking the way he is. And he's top, he's a top two or three iron player in this field over the last three months. Um, and then you couple that with the fact that, you know, this is a guy that, although I, I tend to like Decky a bit more at more difficult golf courses that put more emphasis on long irons and short game. Uh, but this is a guy that's won at Sony. He's logged top tens at, you know, direct comps and Wiley or not, sorry, not Wiley, Sawgrass, uh, Colonial, Sedgefield. So it may not be like the, the perfect fit, like a Tom Kim or a Russell Henley is. Um, but at 55 to one books are kind of pricing in Decky as if he's like still in his year in slump back in 2022 um and not so much like he's you know the a former number two player in the world that's in the bet, midst of the best ball striking run he's had in 12 plus months um so i'm i'm more than happy to take a shot at, at Hickey this far down the board um and if the iron play does discontinue he's about as menacing as anyone within 30 points of him on, on the odds board so 
Uh, Hideki is, is my third click of the week. Like I said, 55 to one. Um, let me actually check one more site real quick. See what uh, the site that actually got Hideki on at 55. See what he's actually currently listed at. I can get you Hideki right now at, okay, 45 to one. So that seems to be kind of the, the price that's been set. A um, little bit of drift down from 55. But I think, again, given his ball, I don't know. I don't understand why he's like 20 points, 10, 15 points behind guys like Finau, Fitzpatrick, and you know, and the like, you know, they all, I think have very similar um, nits to pick with them and they're, um, but they all have, you know, the same upside to lead the field tee to green and, and get it done that way. So we move away from a and we get into Max Homa, who I know Chris just said at 40 foot 40 to one. I caught a rogue 66 to one. This was in full disclosure, the last move I've made on the week. Uh, I can still get you a 65 to one on Max Homa. If uh, for those of y'all that want it, uh, you can hit the DMS and I can link you to uh, the site that I use, but this is the point in the odds board where you look Hideki and Hanley and Kim, like you could either make very clear stylistic cases for them, or you can make very clear statistical cases for them. We're starting to get into the real speculative range here as I bet Max Homa and I bet Justin Thomas, we're going to go in um, and knock that out as well. Um, but yeah, Max Homa, I bet at 66 to one, Justin Thomas, I bet at 75 to one. We'll start with Max who, you know, we pretty vehemently faded at 25 to one um, at his price tag at that price tag at, at LACC. And although he did shoot a 76 on Friday that proved us right, cast a few um, matchups uh, that we had against him, he was far from the dead fish in the ball striking department that I um, that he's kind of saw in direct lead up to the U.S. Open. In fact, Max really impressed me uh, with the driver all week. And maybe outside of like three bad swings slash misjudged approach shots on two, five, and 12 on Friday that all led to bogey, like when he was playing from the fairway, he was – the swing looked in good shape. He was firing at flags. He was creating birdie chances. Um, I mean, this is a guy that, I mean, he shot 68, 268 on, on Friday and was inside the top 15, top, inside the top 12 uh, on the leaderboard heading into Friday. Um, and he was much more done in by the worst short game performances. He The worst short game performance he's had in over two years uh, than he was by anything from the ball striking for the swing. So LACC, we mentioned earlier, or we mentioned last week, some of the trickiest green complexes. There were there's lies you can get around on LACC that you have no chance with. I feel like Max just put himself in some pretty tough positions around the greens, and I don't think there's any shame in, in getting got by a couple strokes. Um, you know, just putting yourself in bad spots around the greens at LACC. The test this week, I don't think will be near that penal. Uh, he's already got a ninth place finish at Colonial and a sixth place finish in Sawgrass uh, to his name already in 2023. He has a win at another short Northeastern bent grass course at Potomac last season. And one thing Homa does have going for him uh, in the last two months has been the putter. Uh, He is a top 15 putter statistically over the last three months. He's gained nearly a stroke per round over his last four starts. Um, So I think this is a drastic overcorrection by, by bookmakers based on what I saw. Um, Take it from a guy that was, you know, rooting against Homa. I had financial interest in rooting against Max Homa last week, but he impressed me in a lot of ways, I think. And I think he was actually a little bit unfortunate maybe to miss the cut um, and, and go home early uh, at LACC. So, sure, it was a disappointing result for Max, but I don't think this play was anywhere near bad enough to warrant 66-1 to one, uh, in this field, um, particularly at a venue that is going to value short iron play and putting, two things that Max historically has, has, you know, has a pretty high aptitude in. So, um, yeah, this is, again, a bit more speculative. This is when we got to get into the part of the board where – I'm not going to exactly endorse a prop bet on Max Homa. I'm not exactly going to endorse a prop bet on Justin Thomas, but 
when you're talking about outright prices in the 60, 70 to one range on these guys, like they just provide too much upside for me to pass on. So um, around that spot on the lead or on the odds board, you do get to guys like Siwoo Kim, who I think is actually a pretty good, um, has pretty similar strengths to Tom Kim. He's not coming in in quite the same ball striking form that Tom Kim is. He doesn't have the, the same spikes that, that Kim has experienced in recent times. Um, Tom, that is, but he's been a bit more consistent than Tom has. And when you think about a golf course, Pete Dye, short, positional, you know, he won at Sony early this year. He's phenomenal at Harbortown, phenomenal at Wyndham, phenomenal at the players. Like, this is a Seawood Kim golf course. Um, and you're getting prices at 45, 50 to one. This has been, again, one of Seawood's more consistent years. Um, this is a play that I think I, I would. I would endorse the outright, but I would even more so endorse like a top 20 or matchup play. I think Sibu's in, he's actually got a pretty high floor um, for, for this point in the odds board, particularly when you, when you price him around guys like Wyndham Clark, um, who coming off of us open again, a golf course that I don't think suits Wyndham as well as uh, you know, some of the longer firmer, more difficult tests we've seen in recent weeks. Um, Cam Young, who you just really don't know what you're going to get. I think the ceiling is still quite high on Cam Young, um, but the floor is, is about as low as you're going to get under 50 to one for me. Um, and then was there one more name that I missed? I don't think so actually. No, but yeah, Siwoo Kim, I think if, if you do want to get there, I think you can still find him at 45. You can still find him at 50 to one in some spots. I, I don't mind that play uh, one bit. If you kind of want to just hammer this range behind 50 to one, I think there's some real winning upside there. And um, yeah, definitely a solid floor to be found for Siwoo as well. So um, yeah. Homa and, and Hideki are my two plays outright, but um, I would say if, if you want, if you wanted to delve into the prop market and talk about range of outcomes and talk about the floors, these guys possess like Hideki for me is a bit more of a solid play and DFS Homa. Um, again, it's a, it's a bit more subjective for me. I, I feel like I'm kind of going with my gut a little bit here. Um, whereas I think Hideki has some tangible statistical backing as, as to why I'm backing this week, but uh, couldn't say no to, to the shot on Max at 66. Yeah, and then speaking of shots, uh, it's usually at this point where I kind of open up the odds board, tell you to go deeper, um, but we still got, still got two more guys to talk about. Uh, one at 75? Yeah, 75 to 1, and one at 220 to 1. Um, so I'll let you talk about those, and then obviously there's some other guys you kind of mentioned being Austin Ekra, Aaron Rye, Eric Cole, Mark Hubbard. Um, so, yeah, I guess which let's talk about the two guys we, we bet first, and then let's see if we have some time to talk about some of these deeper guys. Okay. Yeah, we're already over an hour somehow um, for the Travelers Championship. But, yeah, I, I bet Justin Thomas is 75-1. to 1. I made the case for Max. That was maybe a bit more, um, you know, with rose-tinted glasses. I made this the kind of the hard and fast statistical case for Hideki. Uh, as for JT, there's there's not a lot of good I can I can take out of his plus 14 that he shot through two days at LACC. Minus 5.2 off the team, minus 3.4 on approach. His war splits in either of those categories in many, many years. Uh, I, I actually couldn't find on record a place or a, a week where he lost um, a combined, what, nearly nine shots to the field ball striking. That's just obscene for a player like Justin Thomas. However, we're now getting 75 to 1 on – historically one of the best wedge players of the generation uh, and a guy that has been very successful, not only on these Northeastern birdie parties, you know, talking about the 2019 BMW at Medina, 2017 Dell technologies last year's Canadian open. Um, but he's also had success on these shorter positional venues, right? Players, players champion in 2021, Sony open champion 
phenomenal player at the Valspar year in year out. Mayakoba, the Travelers, came third here in 2016. So I understand if you are snake bit by what you saw last week. If you bet him, I know we had, we endorsed him as a potential long shot, just banking on the upside. Very similar case to what I'm about to make this week. Um, but you got to keep in mind, like this is outright betting, right? Like, and Justin Thomas shooting 81 on Friday paid just as much as Roy McIlroy coming one shot short on Sunday evening. I only care about the upper range of a, of a player's outcome. That's why I'm not betting Brian Harmon this week. That's why I'm not betting. Uh, I don't want to pick on anyone else, but you know, just your traditional like plotters that their ceilings tend to be capped, especially in a field like this at like a top 13. If Justin Thomas brings his game, he is more than capable of contending here. He's more than capable of winning here. And at a course that again, you have wedge in your hand, every other hole and still for, despite his struggles in 2023, like if you're sitting 145 yards out, like there's few, there's very few players on this earth. I would rather have with a pitching wedge in his hand from the middle of the fairway is Justin Thomas. He still rates inside the top 15 and strokes getting strokes getting off the tee on these kind of positional golf courses under 7,200 yards. And so he's shown an ability to routinely find fairways here. And again, he's going to have so many chances with the wedge. I think a change of scenery might do him a, a world of good. Um, you know, I've never really liked JT in, despite the fact he's won two major championships, I've always tended to lean towards JT a bit more in easier score conditions. Very similar to Patrick Cantley in that sense. There's a reason I bet him both at the BMW last year, because I anticipated that that winning score to be a lot lower than what it ended up being. Um, but I think this is a really good setup for, for JT. And again, 75 to one price next to Minwoo Lee and Austin Eckert. <laughs> I mean, like, if he misses another cut, then we can add another data point to the hypothesis that JT is just a washed up has been, right? But I know for a fact that missing an opportunity here at 75 to one was going to hurt a lot more than the $30 I'm going to lose if he fires an early week 79 and misses the cut. So, um, yeah, there just comes a time where you just have to plug your nose and, and bet a player that doesn't rate out very well. Like, if it's not here, like, when is it ever going to be for JT? So, 75. I mean, I'm seeing 66s um, all over the place. So by all means, you can join me um, and we'll, we'll learn a lesson together. So that's, that's my JT spiel. Uh, and then Andrew Putnam, I got a 221 on FanDuel. Uh, shout out to our boy Eric in the group chat, uh, securing that number for me. But again, Putnam is a guy very much in, um, I don't want to say the opposite of JT, but yeah, like this is a, this is an event where Andrew Putnam goes to and he should, feel very comfortable, right? You talk about wedge play, you talk about putting. He's inside the top five in both those metrics um, in lead and form of the last three months heading into this week. Uh, last five starts, he's gained uh, 2.7 shots on average per tournament with his putter, 2.2 shots on average uh, on approach. And Putnam is a guy that has popped up like a lot, like fifth place at the Memorial. He gained fourth at the Sony Open, second in the Zozo, 12th at the Shriners, fifth at last year's St. Jude. Like, He's another guy kind of like Grio that goes through really hot and cold stretches, but when you get him on a golf course that fits him and he plays to his upper percentile outcome, like he's very capable of contending uh, and potentially, you know, nabbing a victory here. So as long shots go, I, I felt he was the best value proposition at, at over 200 to one. Um, but there, like I said, there are a lot of guys that, uh, that I will be keeping my eye on, maybe not only in, in the live market, but um in the prop market as well. Like I said, I think Aaron Rye, when you talk about maybe the closest comp we have, at least in the last two months outside of colonial, like I think Oakdale makes a lot of sense in a, in a golf course that penalizes you pretty severely for off offline tee shots. 
Requires you to hit a lot of wedge shots, bet grass greens. Uh, Aaron Rye finished third there. I thought he played really, really well down the stretch. 100 to 1 in this field. Um, I think I think makes a lot of sense for Aaron Rye. Uh, Mark Hubbard has uh, has experienced quite a bit of drift. I think he, he opened at 200 to 1. I missed that and wasn't really willing to go back at 100 to 1. But when you talk about recent ball striking splits, like Mark Hubbard's legitimately a top five iron player in the world over the last two months. Uh, he's gained an average of 4.7 shots per tournament over his last five starts. So Hubbard, again, another guy that just has an elite skill uh, in the triple digits that I think he can take full advantage of this week. And then let's see here. I mean, you you guys kind of – I mean, I do want to give a shout-out to Corey Connors at 65-1. to 1. I think Corey Connors actually is going is getting a bit slept on here. He's a guy that, again, he, he had a really disappointing end to his Canadian Open, but he was one of the – kind of marquee names at the top of the leaderboard for, for a large part of that tournament. Um, not getting a ton of respect on a pretty similar golf course here at, here at the Travelers. You know, historically really, really good at, at the players, really, really good at, at places like Harbor Town and Wyndham uh, and Sony. Um, but a golf course where if you like Colin Morcow, if you like Russell Henley, if you like Tom Kim, like Corey Connors is right there. And I think he's pretty fairly priced at 65 to one. So um, he was a name I certainly gave it a lot of look to. So that would probably wrap up or, I mean, like CT Pan, Eric Cole, like CT is another guy at um, at Oakdale last or two weeks ago that we kind of shouted out on the podcast as a potential sleeper. Didn't get to him in the live market and almost paid the price. Um, but he's you can find him as deep as 150, even 175 to one for for CT Pan, who has back to back top fives at these kind of wedge intensive birdie parties. Um, I guess Craig Ranch is a bit more long iron, mid long iron intensive, but Oakdale, like I said, uh, I think rates out or. Uh, yeah, sets up pretty similar to what I expected at the Travelers this week. So there's a lot of names, um, which which is kind of why I have aired on the conservative side uh, this week because I didn't really want to commit all the way um, to one narrative or the other because, like I said, I think you can – I've been a bit indecisive in each range just because I <laughs> there's just a lot of names that I, I can see having really good weeks. Um, and so we've left ourselves seven or eight units basically, so – if we wanted to go two at the top, like we still have the the capability to go like Morikawa plus Finau or Morikawa plus Fleetwood, or we could go scattershot on the Aaron Rise and the Mark Hubbards and the CT Pans uh, of the world down the board. So still a lot of flexibility, which is kind of what I like in an event like this, um, where I do feel like there's a wide range of, of players that could potentially contend. Um, and this is a golf course as well that I think you can certainly see like wild swings on leaderboards. Um, we've seen guys get hot on Saturday and Sunday and go from, you know, T35 to, you know, final group on Sunday. Um, Kevin Kisner, Mark Leishman uh, in the last couple of years kind of come top of mind in that regard uh, that you might be able to catch surging on a, on a, you know, a movie day or even a Sunday afternoon. So um, yeah, just a golf course. I think there's a ton of variants, um, ton of guys that can win. So we're going to kind of try and, rain it in pre-tournament um, and maybe get a bit more of an idea um, in the live market and, and kind of see how this, how this course is playing, see how the top names are um, are affected by last week. And yeah, like I said, it, it's, it's wide open and there's a lot of questions that I, I can't answer on a Tuesday night. So um, happy with where we're at, at the betting card. I, I love the fact, I mean, the fact that we have six names that I think have legitimate chances to win here and we still have nearly half the budget remaining is an exciting prospect. So hopefully, um, yeah, we can get another one in contention and maybe run good on Sunday for, uh, for a third winner in five weeks. So that's all I'm going to say on the travelers bit too, bit too much probably already. 
Uh, but if you want my extensive thoughts, Roto Ballers coming up hopefully tomorrow morning. And then um, you know, we'll be on Coin doing a little rundown, mostly for the race. But uh, I'm sure Rory and, and Skybox will, will want to talk a little golf. So we'll we'll throw on our picks there. Actually, last time we're it was funny. Last time we we're on Lane Coin, we uh um, Kim, we right? Tom, yeah, right at a very <laughs> similar venue at Sutherland. So uh, yeah, I'll give my patented Tom Kim spiel and hopefully it, it comes through for for the second time on the bounce. But yeah, that's all I gotta say, Chris. Do you have uh, anything else on the travelers or we wanna close this out and maybe talk a little NASCAR to end the night? Yeah, honestly, you hit a lot of the names that I had kind of written, wrote down myself because uh, Mark Hubbard was a guy that I kind of wanted to talk about. You yeah. talked about Austin Eckro. Uh, so a lot of the guys that I kind of saw around Twitter or that I kind of pinned out my own, you kind of hit on already. So, um, yeah. which is to be expected in a week where we're kind of doing a little scatter shot, right? A little quantity <laughs> over quality this week. Yeah. Um, but as you mentioned, we've got Tom Kim at 50 to 1, Russell Henley at 50 to 1, Hideki Matsuyama at 55 to 1, Max Home at 66 to 1, Justin Thomas at 75 to 1, and Andrew Putnam at 220 to 1, and still have six units to play with, essentially. So, I mean, at some of these longer odds, we're talking potentially even two, three, four more names. So, um, yeah, it's a good week to make sure you're uh, following us on Action Network. So, you know, see as soon as we hit those bets, they'll be pinned right to you or, or on Twitter as well, it'll ping right to your phone. That way you're in position just as along with us. So, um, yeah. Honestly, I think that's a little battle we've got. We're hour 16 in, so longer than I thought we'd go for the Travelers. But um, fun tournament to to talk about, especially, like you said, like I think I kind of like your approach because we don't know. It was a grueling week last weekend, so we don't know what's going to spring up, uh, how motivated some of these top guys are to even really be here. So, yeah, fun to hit some of these other guys that this is their opportunity to kind of break through and, and get a nice payday. So, Yeah. With that being said, guys, we will uh, close out for the week and we will talk to you next week.